Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, I'm speaking with Nettie Owens. She's an award-winning speaker, author, and reality star. She says you'll feel a lot better if your life is uncluttered. Nettie, welcome. I found out that you were on the show Hoarders. Yeah. And I was not the hoarder. you manifested that like the day before? Yeah. Okay. You got to tell me what happened there. I was writing in a journal, like bucket list kind of stuff, be on TV. And the next day... TLC called and said, you know, we're looking for an organizer to do a job in on the Eastern shore in Maryland. And, you know, are you actually, they asked the wackiest questions. First of all, organizing is organizing. Like you could be organizing papers or stuff or clothes, or in this case, skid steers and fire trucks and equipment. It doesn't matter. Stuff is stuff. So They're like, do you have experience organizing like a junkyard or fire trucks? And I'm like, yeah, no, but I'm pretty sure I'm okay. Like I'm good. So they asked me a bunch of questions and then I'm not even sure if they asked anybody else because there's a desert basically of organizers in this particular region. I mean, the organizing industry is not that big. There's, I think I figured it out that if there were, if you divvied up all of the organizers for all of the people who could use support, we'd each have 10,000 clients. And that's not even looking at like qualified, you know, like you're qualified for that particular thing. So yeah, there's plenty, plenty of people who need support. And in this case, I was driving two and a half to three hours to go to the client site and work with this person for the, the show TLC's Hoarding Buried Alive. I wanna know what they asked you. Do you remember? I mean, yeah, they were just asking me stuff about like if I had seriously organized fire trucks or large equipment. And I'm like, no, you know, but I really don't think it's going to be a problem. I'm pretty sure that's also what I said, because this is the realm that I work in. You know, I'm trying to think at the time I was not yet a certified professional organizer in chronic disorganization, but I later went on to get that designation and my everybody that I worked with fit into that category of chronically disorganized, which means that they had organizing challenges that persisted over a long period of time. They had tried other methodologies to get and stay organized, but they hadn't been effective. It was impacting their quality of life and they didn't see that change was coming in the future. Like they just felt like this was going to continue. So that's, those are the qualities that define a situation that's that would be considered chronic disorganization. And would you say that the the people on the show were that? Yes. I would say the people on the show were that, but that's, you know, that's, that was everybody that I was working with at the time, because that was who I served the people on the show. And you can find the episode that my episode was called, is that a goat? And it was, there were several. Is that a goat? Is that a goat? Yeah. The episode has an organizing situation where there was a woman who had like lots of dolls and that wasn't mine. Mine was with a, um, a veteran. I'm trying to remember. I think he was Marines and he was, had experienced, you know, a pretty significant trauma, obviously from being overseas and having his, his men caught in a really untenable situation and having to get them out and they all got out, but still. So I feel like in his particular case, that was where the need to, to hold on to things came, came because, because of that experience. But yeah, you can, you can check out the episode and, and see he was a, like a tactical guy, like a logistical guy. He had all this stuff so that he could be resourceful. And then inside of his house was more of like your typical kind of situation where things get out of control, which was lots of paper and projects that you intend to get to, but you have all the supplies for, but maybe haven't been completed and 
that kind of thing. So we focused on both the inside and the outside, which was a pretty big situation to be managing. Was it what you expected? Was it what you manifested? I used to have to be on TV. I really didn't ask for any qualifications here, but I was super excited and I'm still thrilled to have had the experience. It was, it was a lot, you know, at the time my kids were really little. So I have three children all through that summer, which was when I was doing the recording and we were working on the project. I would one day a week, I would leave early in the morning, you know, drive the two and a half, three hours, work all day in the sun outside, you know, working with them to improve this situation and then drive home. I want to know more, but my daughter has just snuck in here and wants to ask you a question. So absolutely. Yes. You forget what you were going to ask. It's okay. You can think of something and come sit on my lap. She's like, if you don't let me talk now, I'm leaving. (laughs) This is Nettie. Hello. It's good to meet you. I hear you're the star of the show. You ask the best questions from what I know. Do we have a hoarding problem? My room right now, yes. (laughs) Sitting over here from where I am, I couldn't, I couldn't say, you know, if a situation was a hoarding situation and, and it's a medical condition. So I actually couldn't say either way since I'm not a medical practitioner, but there are some things that make it a hoarding situation versus not. It would have to impede you from doing your activities of daily living, which means your situation would have to prevent you from getting dressed in the morning, brushing your teeth, doing your schoolwork, spending spending time with friends, getting your chores done in order to be considered that. What do you think? I mean, I don't really do chores. <laughs> you don't do chores. Hmm. So I guess it can't be that. I guess it can't impede that. So what about the other stuff? Does it keep you from brushing your teeth and going to school and having playdates? Not really. Can you sleep in your bed? Yes. All right. That's a good sign. And your clothes mostly like... Do you sometimes sleep with your clothes? Uh, Yeah, because I'm sleeping right after school, just getting up and like getting in bed. So you don't have to know whether or not a situation is a hoarding situation to do little things to make it better and have yourself feel better about your space. So you can always, you can always do little things to make your environment feel better for you. And one of the biggest things that I would ask the people that I work with first was what is it that you want your space to look or feel like, like, how do you want it to look or feel? I want it to be clean. And when I do clean it, I'm pretty good at it, but Awesome. I'm usually just busy. Like yesterday, I was really busy because I had a lot of homework. Mm. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. And sometimes we just make decisions to do certain tasks like our homework, as opposed to other tasks, because they really are more important at the time. And that's okay too. It doesn't have to be that you're always keeping your room clean because sometimes that's actually not the most important thing on your schedule. I'm going to give you a challenge. Can I give you a challenge? I want you to think about what clean means to you because you use the word clean, but everybody's definition of that is a little bit different. So what does it look like, feel like, smell like, taste like, sound like when your space is clean and how do you feel like in your, on the inside when it's like that? And you don't have to answer me now. I would just say that's something that's a challenge for you to sit down and ponder a little bit. And then it'll be easier when you do decide that you really want to work on it, that you're coming from your own vision of what you want, like your own image in your mind of what, of what you want, as opposed to maybe what mom wants or what's expected. You create your own reality of like what it is that you want for your bedroom space. I actually think that Celia is better at cleaning than me. There you go. I actually you can help your mom. <laughs> you want to go clean your room now? So yeah, in preparation for this interview, can I just tell you, I got out a trash bag today and threw out an entire trash bag full of stuff. Okay, there you go. <laughs> well, I've done that in my room like a lot of times. I actually have trash bags in my room I need to take out. That's how I clean is get rid of stuff. That's one way to do it. Yeah, because I have a lot of toys in my room. Are you going to go get started? 
Yeah, um, I have like three or four trash bags in my room right now that are full. How about just bring them down and I'll put them in the trash? That seems like a really easy first step is just to take out the stuff you already decided was going to leave your room. Put on some music. Thanks for saying hi. Bye. All right. She's going to clean her room. This is a great subject matter. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah, I totally want to go back to the TV thing. You filmed Mm -hmm. for how many weeks? Gosh, I think we started in June and wrapped up in July. It wasn't very long. It was a, because what happened is they came out to film the first, the before, and then I had to work fast and furious with the client and then we filmed the after. So I'm thinking it was like maybe six weeks because the episode actually aired in August of that summer. So it was a really quick turnaround time. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, that is a pretty quick turnaround. Did -hmm. you find anything that shocked you? Is that part of the episode? No, actually what's funny is I try not to be shocked. Shock doesn't help somebody else feel safe and comfortable with what they're already approaching. Like everybody that I would work with would already have their own feelings. There was already so much shame and discomfort around doing this work, inviting somebody in, and this person agreed to be on television. So that's really letting people in to your world. And while they get the support for free, it comes with all of these strings attached, which is the whole world now gets to see inside the thing that you've mostly been trying to hide from everyone else. I mean, you even said like, just even talking to me about this inspired you to go clean up around the house. So you can imagine, you know, this idea of like opening up. So being shocked doesn't, is not a good reaction. But it is TV. It is TV. So what happened was they said, they're like, we need the drama. We need the story because we need to be this to be engaging. And at one point there was this like recliner chair that was outside and I lifted it up and I went over to the, whoever was filming. Right. And I was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, there's a dead cat in this recliner, like a kitten. There were a lot of kittens around and one had gotten kind of stuck in the mechanism. And so had passed away. I just walked over and let them know. And they're like, well, you know, can you, can you be surprised and find it? I'm like, well, I'm probably like, I know it's there. I'm, I'm not going to give you a good reaction. So we got one of the other women, young ladies, like college aged <laughs> to find the cat and to get the reaction that they were, that they were looking for. I know my, my affect doesn't lend itself well to TV in that particular way, but If I come and act shocked, then like I said, it just, my clients wouldn't feel safe letting me in. So I couldn't promote to the entire world that I was going to come into your space and be shocked or no one would hire me. And I did get hired after that show because people had seen me on it. My dad said, and when we watched the episode, there was one point where I must've given like a look, like he said, if you'd made more looks like that, you would have been on camera more, honey. <laughs> so, so yeah, there were a couple of times where they wanted me to go back and kind of say again what I said or redo. And it just was, wasn't me. So I couldn't, I couldn't go back and do that. But we had other, there were enough other people on site to give them the drama that they were looking for. And the scene itself was pretty intense, which lends itself to good TV. Yeah. I mean, didn't the cat stink? It was outside. It was long gone. Mm. I just knew that like a response of a woman seeing a dead cat was definitely going to be the kind of drama they wanted on that show. Yeah. That's an excellent promo. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. And then after like it all wrapped up, like then how did you feel? I felt good. Like I had formed a really nice relationship with the man uh, that I was working with. We continued to keep in touch. And I tried to set up some additional supports for him because if the show wasn't paying for it, that was a significant boost to him doing that particular work. I don't think he really had the funds to have us come out ongoing, especially with the distance and stuff. So we did some work back and forth and some by phone and and that kind of stuff for a little while. But yeah, I, I thought it was a great experience. I appreciate the value of shows like that because like I said, it's a double-edged sword. You're The people who are on them can feel really vulnerable and exposed, but for the people watching, it lets them know that they're not alone. There are resources out there that can help them. 
and perhaps even seeing some ideas on what they might do to go about like addressing their particular situation. So felt good to be a part of that. There was a, a point when they were asking if I would kind of be the face of the show of, of talking about the, the TV series and going on to talk shows and things like that, which never came through, but I had always hoped it would. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'd love that. Like, I'd love to go on, you know, Ellen and talk about hoarding. I'd be pretty happy to do that. Well, hey, you got to put it out into the universe. I mean, my God, you got a 24 hour turnaround on the first go. Oh, I did. It was pretty amazing. I'm okay with that not coming to fruition. Like I'm not looking to manifest that anymore. But at the time I was, you know, it was like, oh gosh, 11, it was 11 years ago that I was on that show. What did that lead to? credibility, you know, in when people were reaching out to me, I added it to my website. I shared it when I would go on to, when I go to give presentations, people would introduce me and they would include that I had been on that show. So all of that I felt like was good. And uh, the team that I had grew and we were really one of the biggest organizing companies in the area and especially specializing in that particular work in chronic disorganization. So Interesting. Another thing I'm glad that you brought up was that your dad was like, Hey, if you would have hammed it up a little bit, or if you would have given more of that expression, is your dad someone that you have a close relationship with? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your dad. I know. Why don't I tell you about my dad on the better call daddy show? Yeah. I would say my dad and I have a pretty close relationship. It's always been that way that we would stay up and and talk, you know, our time of the evening when I was little and, and home with them, uh, cause I'm the youngest. So once uh, my sisters were out, I still had a, a few years at home alone before I graduated and went off to school, but we'd be up like after I was done my homework, sitting in the kitchen, feeding the cat, talking about whatever, like, you know, was coming up politically or it was great. We, we talked about all sorts of stuff. And then as I have grown and progressed, you know, whatever, become an adult, you know, he's always been somebody that I talked to about my business. And uh, he was really instrumental in when I started my business, it was just me doing this organizing. And I, you know, I would ask him a lot of questions because I'd never done anything like this before. And while he hadn't started his own business, he did have an MBA and, you know, he was high up in the government at the Food and Drug Administration. And so he knew about management and he knew about people. And well, he's my dad. He just knows a lot of stuff, right? So, and we've always had great conversations. So it was, I I valued the time that I've had to talk to him about, about my business. He's one of the people that I've really shared the most with in that area. You sound like a daddy's girl to me. Well, there's three of us. We're all girls. So my dad- had the cat. Like that was it. It was my dad and the cat. And, you know, cause that was the only, those are the only males in the household. <laughs> my dad had a male dog, but he had right. three daughters too. Yep. So I guess from that, like we were all daddy's girls. Like my sister went to a school for the arts in Baltimore city. And so she, like her time with my dad was riding the subway to get into school. Cause we lived in the suburbs. And so, you know, she would drive or ride the subway with him, he'd walk to work and she'd walk to school. And so they had that time to connect, you know, uh, that was my middle sister. And I remember my uh, oldest sister, when we were growing up, like hanging out and working on cars and stuff. (laughs) That's what I, she's six years older than me. So, you know, I don't necessarily know like that and jokes, you know, that was always something that they could relate on movies, things like that. So is he a jokester? We Bassbinders, that's my that's my maiden name. We're not known for being overly emotive. <laughs> We're known for being more reserved. And so our humor tends to be much more subtle. But yeah, I would say, I would say he's a jokester and pretty funny guy. Aw, that's so great. Also, I'm really interested in Jennifer gave me some tips here. She told me, Jennifer McGinley, she's getting a shout out right now, but she told me that you believe right before presentations that men and women handled these presentations differently. And you actually met Jennifer when you were giving a speech. So I would like to know what is your preparation around being in front of a crowd? It's not that I believe we prepare for presentations differently. It's, I feel like we 
it, and it's not even men and women, but people who are more in their masculine energy or more in their feminine energy. So that could like, that could flow along gender lines, but it doesn't have to being more in your masculine energy. You're going to do certain things to be productive, show up, uh, interact with people being more in your feminine energy. Again, you know, you have certain characteristics that you might show up with. So we can dig into that a little bit, but before I present, usually I have kind of a, a routine that I'll do, which is I'll, I'll listen to certain, a certain like playlist of music and I'll dance and just get I my energy I heard you were up. into dancing. That's even in you your like bio a bit. Yeah, I, I do. I really like to dance. What kind of dance? Well, I was trained in ballet, tap and jazz point. I did ballroom in college. I was part of the group. I don't even know. Like I was, I don't, I guess I was secretary or treasurer or something like that of the ballroom dance. I can't, I can't even remember, but I was part of the ballroom dance club. I helped organize the events and show up. That's what I did. It feels good. Right. And it changes your energy and it helps you uh, connect to certain feelings and whether you want that feeling to be a more subdued kind of feeling or more like excited kind of feeling, but it just helps sort of like shake off all the crud, you know, that you might be holding on to and well, you move your body, right? So that feels good. And uh, from a productivity standpoint, this kind of thing is helpful. I mean, you can move your body in all sorts of different ways and that's just going to help. It helps release good endorphins into your brain that help the neurons connect better and fire better so that you'll be more focused and be able to tap into those ideas and be more clear and, and put those ideas together. So, so yeah, I like to dance. Nice. Do you dance as you're cleaning up the house? If I put on music, that will usually get me dancing. Yeah. If I can't usually sit still, I'm a chair dancer. I'm like a dancer in the car. I'm whatever, wherever there's a song that I want to move to, I'm, I'm going to be dancing to it. Are you, you won't TikToking? See me sitting, no, no. I, my daughter set me up an account, but I have not I've not gotten into that. I mean, there's like one video that says, this is the first of a bunch of videos that are coming. And it stays right there. And that's it. Yeah. I'm not TikToking now. Love the teaser though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's funny. Okay. I am going to go to some of these questions for my audience and give some people some shout outs here. Sure. Do you have a junk drawer or a basket of single socks? Robin Smith wants to know that. Yes, I do. I have a junk drawer and a basket of single socks. I will say that when I was primarily focused on organizing as my profession, I was really stressful to leave the house. Like because I had a persona to exemplify when I was out and people saw me as this very organized person and they wanted help with these things. I felt like my purse always had to be well-organized because somebody people would like, they'd look like, what's your purse look like? What's your desk look like? I bet it's really, you know, and so there was always this extra pressure to, to show up and to, and to, you know, be this person. So I say I have a junk drawer, but it's like organized junk. You know, I, I try and I, I pair that organizing with minimalism. Like I, I'm not a fan of, of having stuff around that you're not using. So that usually quickly gets moved along, mostly because organizers have got to be the laziest people on the planet lazy, like super lazy. They will create a system to do a thing just so that they don't ever have to do it again. Right. So they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to spend time doing laundry. That sounds boring. So they're like going to get rid of as many clothes as possible and make it as simple as possible to do their laundry because they don't want to spend any time on it. So I had one of my organizers say that, Oh gosh, organizers are lazy people. And I thought about it. I'm like, you are so right. Like we will come up with something just so we don't have to exert any more effort than absolutely necessary in this world. Does that hold true for you? Oh yeah. Interesting. I like that. That's a great title. How do you get the entire family on board with keeping things organized? That one I need to know. So it's a work in progress. But You're a mom of three, so I know I'm you can relate. Three, yeah, exactly. And everybody does things differently. Like this is again something that I would 
share with my clients, when it's just you, you can set up the system that works for you. But when you're in a household, you have to think about each person's way of doing things, how they communicate, how they interact with the space. And while you might have some ideas about like what you would want, you can't impose those on other people. And I mean, sharing a a space really comes with other things than just organizing. It's like, well, which space is yours? Which is mine? What's ours? What are the community rules that exist? Part of what helps is as the children are growing, you're teaching them how to do certain things. Like you're teaching them how to load the dishwasher and how to wash the dishes and how to sweep and how to put their clothes in the drawers, right? But it always has to come from that teaching modality, because once you start saying like, it has to be this way, you really disempower them. Then they get out into the, into having their own space or as a, as they're becoming teenagers and they have their own, own space to take care of, then all they're doing is making it look like what you want when, instead of creating something that would work for them. So it's a hard space to be in, right. As a mom or a parent to say, I'm a very organized person, but my child is not, or, you know, I like things to look this particular way, but my child doesn't. And that that's okay. Like if it works for them, then that's okay. So your daughter was on and we were talking about her space. And as I said, the most important thing is that she first determines what it is she wants her space to be like, and that could be different from what you want. And it's going to have to be what works for her because Ultimately, she's the one picking it up and she's the one moving around that space. Even if it's cluttered, if it feels good to her, then there isn't a reason to change it. So something that's important that I want to point out here is you can be the most amazingly organized person on the planet, but you might not make a good professional organizer because if if somebody else's messy space upsets you, then this is not the job for you. I love that point. And I would like to actually go a little bit deeper there. Like, how do you put yourself into the shoes of the people that you're working with? Well, I I see them as people. Like that's number one is just that the person sitting in front of me is a human being with their own wants and dreams, desires, frustrations, life history. And generally speaking, people are trying their best. So there can't be a judgment from that perspective. As I said before, organizers are lazy. It takes a lot of work to be messy, to have a lot of stuff around you. Like you're constantly doing something or thinking about doing something, which is a lot of energy and stress that's put towards that particular activity. Part of what I would do is just use language that empowers the person in front of me is one of the things like I'm careful. And I, I, I'm talking about a lot of this stuff, but at this point, I don't do organizing any longer, but it's just so much of who I am and what I've done for, for, for many years. But yeah, I I wouldn't use words like junk. I wouldn't use words like hoarder or hoarding unless we were actually talking about that diagnosis, partly because as I said, I'm not a medical professional, so I can't diagnose you as a hoarder, but Just that person first language means that I'm not going to use that term anyway, because they're a person, right? That's, that's their identity. So when I was hiring for my team, one of the things that I would always look for, I would ask a question in the interview, I would describe a situation that was chaotic and messy as somebody who had just called us for support. And then I would ask the person across from me to tell me what they saw, like, You just opened the door to this new client potentially, and the space is very cluttered. What do you see? When I would get a response, like I see an overwhelmed mom, she's picking up, you know, the laundry while she's trying to manage the kids and, and she's whatever. If they went on that thread, I would typically hire them. But if they went on the thread of it's a really messy space and, you know, there's stuff everywhere. And, you know, first we would organize the papers. They were just, they weren't understanding that there was a person in the middle of this situation. And so if they didn't identify the person, describe how that person was feeling, 
then they never got hired by me because it was never going to be a good fit. So do you actually interact with the people as you help them do it, or do you just do it for them? I would be interacting with that person because part of my code of ethics as an organizer is that I'm teaching, there's a transfer of skills. So you could hire a cleaning company to come in and clean up, clean up and organize the space. But if you actually want to make a change, if you were at that really intense situation and you don't want it to be that way anymore, then you're really going to want to work with a professional organizer who has the training to help convey those skills to you or come up with a plan or coach you through it, all of which are options to help you create a new space for yourself. We definitely, you know, we were like the hands and the eyes and the, and even the emotional carriers for our clients while they were going through this process, we would hold all of that for them so that they could navigate these other pieces. What were like the hardest things for them to let go of? It was always very specific to the person. You could have somebody who easily let go of things, but their challenge was bringing in too much, or they were just physically incapable. Like they had a physical impediment that kept them from being able to maintain their space. So that might've been something. So then we really need to look for like creating systems and, and looking for outside resources and things that we can help them manage this. Sometimes you would pick up an object that seemed innocuous and they'd be like, I can't deal with that right now. Right. So it really is just unique to the person. I can, I can imagine you feel this way. You might have like right now sitting on my desk, there is, I'm just going to show you this little guy. Like I intentionally bought this. This is, this is Gregory. He's a little like cartoon dwarf warrior from some middle earth type of, I don't even know. Somebody's like, oh, that goes to whatever set. I have no idea. That's not why I bought him. I like looked online to find this guy. Well, if you just thought he was a toy, then you might come into my office and be like, oh, well, why do you have that there? And it's, probably not useful. And so maybe you could let it go, but he's like my guardian against crap, basically. Like he reminds me that I'm protected from anything I don't want to do, helps me set boundaries around activities and people and whatever. He's just like a visual reminder, like a a talisman, basically. Objects really held no value except for what you impart on them. So there's, it's always going to be different for each person, what they can and cannot let go of. Yeah, definitely. Another question that was asked is why is it important to be organized? Well, it's only important to be organized if it's important to you to be organized. Otherwise it's not. Can you work with someone who is like creative and chaotic? Oh yeah, for sure. Have you ever? Oh, always. Like most of the people that I work with now that I'm in working as a business consultant, would fall into that realm. So I segued my company, my business from working with people who are chronically disorganized to working with business owners. And there were so many parallels that it just made it an easy like transition. Early on, I didn't bring in the fact that I was an organizer because I didn't think that it related to the work that I'm doing now with business owners, but it absolutely does. So while before I was working mostly with people's stuff, and perhaps some of their time management issues and things like that. Now it's certainly that time element, but it might be the chaotic like way that they're organizing their tasks or you know how they're thinking about their business, the structure of their business, how they're interacting. Sometimes we get into their office, but more often than not, we're just managing like all the things that come with running a company. I go back to the skills that I learned and that I taught my clients about creating that vision of what it is that you're trying to make. And then like looking at all the pieces and seeing how those fit into what you just visualized and breaking it down into smaller chunks. And, you know, so like what's important to hold on to versus what's not like all of those things. And something that I learned and then later passed on to my clients was that clutter in any form, and it can be things, time, thoughts, any, any way that it appears is really a boundary issue. It's a time when you haven't set a clear boundary. So if there's 
clutter, which is again, only something that you can define, then that's a time when you have not been clear about what is okay to be in your life and in your space and what's not okay. So tell me about some of the clutter you've gotten rid of. Oh my gosh. We've gotten rid of anything and everything that you could possibly imagine. And clients have held on to just as many things, you know, as they've let go of. I always drew the line at animal hoarding. That wasn't something that I felt qualified to step into. But other than that, there were- You've seen that? I intentionally have not put myself in that position. So if that was, if that was the situation, I just, it wasn't something that I stepped into. Where's your struggles been? I would say that my struggles oftentimes parallel my clients. You know, I always have a lot of ideas and doing a lot of different things. Like even today was a super, super busy day. Um, We're rebranding the website. There's media ops that need to be responded to. We have an event coming up in January. There's new clients being onboarded. We're redoing how we distribute the newsletter and, and what that looks like preparing for this. Like there's, there's a lot and that's only in the work realm. And then we move into the family realm and there's birthdays that need gifts and groceries. Like right before I was on this, I was, I ran to Sam's club and got like a trunk full of groceries and the family is currently probably eating dinner at this point, but they were making dinner while we were getting ready. You know, there's just like always tons of stuff going on. So initially I got into organizing to solve my own challenges. And there's been always a lot of parallel, like between the things that I was facing and the things that my clients were facing. So I either learned something I needed to help them or used something I had learned to help them or to help myself. My children, two of them have challenges. And had I not been in the profession that I'm in, I wouldn't have seen it. Like I I wouldn't have recognized it as something that needed to be addressed. I would have just seen it as bad behavior. And I'm really glad for the time and energy that I had spent with my clients and learning how to support them because then I was able to use those skills to help my children. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Early on, I didn't think I worked with people who had, at the time it was ADD, like it's now ADHD. Uh, It's actually been called a bazillion things over the years. If you ever look up the history of that, it's had lots of different names. But at the time, I didn't really think that I worked with clients that had that challenge. Now I would say most of the people that I work with have some kind of executive functioning challenge. So executive functions, just to define that, are controlled by the front part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, and they they govern like your goal setting, your ability to hold two thoughts in your mind at once. So when you walk out of the room and you're like, I'm going to do this thing. And you step through the threshold and you're like, what was that thing? That's working memory. That's part of what it manages. It's like the conductor for all the other parts in your brain. So people who have ADHD are challenged with executive function and And it could be called executive function disorder. Like I'd love to see that particular change. But at the time, I didn't think I worked with clients in that realm. As I started to understand chronic disorganization more, I started to learn more about ADD and ADHD and just more about brain function and and how it worked. And so I was able to see like, oh, well, maybe my child isn't doing this, isn't not doing this because he's being defiant, maybe he's not able to. And that frustration that he's feeling is because I'm asking him to, and I'm either rewarding him or punishing him for something he's not even capable of doing. And so being able to start seeing those kinds and identify those kinds of things was really helpful. My son was diagnosed, not, not young, young, but like in elementary with uh, being on the spectrum. And he's extremely high functioning. So most teachers and such, you know, people that he interacted with, you know, they, they wouldn't see it, but they would see the things that he couldn't do. And they were always attributed to, well, if he just worked a little bit harder. So when I started hearing those kinds of things, and it was the same kinds of things that would be said of my clients, like, well, if they just, you know, if they just weren't so lazy, if they just could try a little bit harder to 
get their clothes picked up or, you know, put the groceries away or whatever. So just seeing those connections, I would start, I'd started asking questions in the conferences that I would go to, like, you know, if there was a presenter that seemed to describe what I was seeing at home, I'd, I'd ask questions and, and ask for resources and things like that. Um, Did you ever feel defensive? As a mom? Oh, yeah. Like, hello, isn't that our job to protect our little cubs? Absolutely. I would go into school meetings and I'm like, no, what you're saying, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And if he could, he would. And if my child were blind, you wouldn't be saying if he just tried to see better, he could like, but it, because what my child suffers with is invisible, you know, you can make statements like that and, and get away with it. So I would try to educate. I would try to call people out when they were making statements that didn't make sense. And at the end of the day, you know, it's working in the public school system. There's only so many resources to spread around and there are many other children. And I even had a parent who also had a child with special needs kind of say like, well, your kids' challenges aren't as challenging as other kids' challenges. So basically stop being the squeaky wheel. And I'm like, thank you. And I'm his mom and that's my job. <laughs> yeah, so, that's tough. But, you know, like, I don't blame that person. They were dealing with their own struggles and their road was difficult. Like everybody's walking their own path, right? So I can't come here and say, well, I have it harder because of these particular things. Whatever your challenges are that you're confronting are the ones that you have to to manage and there's just no one who could possibly come in and say it's not it's not difficult for you to to be working on those things like feel very strongly that that would be wrong i know we're coming up on the hour and i want to make sure i get all these questions and let's see if we can get one more good one of course everybody wants to know is clutter connected to your mental health i do feel like you've kind of touched on that i would say yes there's so like a phrase that, you know, your outsides match your insides, right? So like what you're experiencing on the inside is, is manifested physically on the outside and vice versa. I know that's not always true. It's just, it's just kind of like a common phrasing. And there's a lot of statements that have been made around and judgments that have been made around a cluttered space being the sign of a cluttered mind, which isn't necessarily the case. So I would kind of reject the word clutter, but there is something to be said about the external, like having an impact on the internal and vice versa. So think about it. When you're in a really good mood, you typically will have more energy and do more things to create a space around you that feels good and positive. And when you're in bad mood, like if you're feeling sad or depressed or unhappy, then you don't have as much energy and you're not as interested or able to create a space around you that feels good. So what I do know is if you're in that low mood and you start changing your space, you'll feel better. That will happen. How many times you're like, oh my gosh, I just cleaned up this, look how nice it looks. And I can walk through here and I want to show my friends and they don't really care, but like, I'm happy about it. Right. I, there were times I'd organize something. I'm like, honey, honey, look, I organized the socks. Look at this. Isn't it cool? And he's like, great job, dear. You know, he knows to say the right things and, and then good husband, to, like, good husband. Faster. but, but yeah, there is that connection. So I look at kind of three, three different areas. You can either start working on your time management. You can start working on your physical space, or you can start working on your health and your stress levels and things like that. They're all interconnected. You know, think of them like a triangle. So if you start managing your health better, you'll have more energy to work on your space and you'll, you know, you might prioritize things differently. Whatever prong of that triangle, whatever side of that triangle you need to work on first is dependent on what you want to do like, do you want to focus on your health? Do you want to focus on your environment? Do you want to focus on your time? Doesn't matter. Pick one and it will, and you'll see that trickle down effect to the others. Let's ask my daddy what he wants to focus on. Yes. You want to give me some of your daddy wisdom? 
I'm thinking about the funny things he says, but <laughs> you can give me I'm something sure. funny. I know. I just want to make sure that it, like, I wouldn't say anything that he would be like, why'd you say that on air? <laughs> so I'll share with you something that he looked, that he like found. And it was really helpful when my cousin passed away at a, when he was in his early thirties from esophageal cancer. And it was really fast, like diagnosed. And then within two months he was gone, but we were all at the hospital with my cousin and my dad had looked up all these resources on cancer and caregivers and, you know, like what to expect and all of that kind of stuff. And he said, something that's been helping me right now is it'll all work out. It will all be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. That's really good. Yeah. And stuck with me. I think it's something that we can all remember, right? Like whatever we're going through right now, even if it feels really difficult, that there's something else that it's like, it's going to come to a close and everything will be okay. That's really beautiful that he gave you that wisdom in such a hard moment. Yeah, it was definitely a difficult time. Aw, I love that you have a beautiful relationship with your dad too. Thank you for bringing that in. Of course. <laughs> now it's your time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share and please promote away your book and your podcast and all of the things? Okay. So one thing that I would like to share is it's difficult being a business owner, being the CEO, managing all the things, having a team. And for the most, the people that often go in this like path are people who tend to get things done. They tend to be the people who aim high want to succeed. And so in my journey have done a lot of research and found that there are really like nine key elements that mark like who's going to be successful and success that sustains over a long time. So I know there's going to be some listeners who are like kind of frustrated with the internet marketing kind of stuff that goes on, like get six figures fast or your path to seven figures. And that's not what I'm talking about. So if you're frustrated with that, I put together these nine elements in this guide, how to succeed in business. And, and so I thought I could share that. Is that okay? That'd be amazing. Yes. So all you have to do to get the guide is to text, like take your cell phone out, put in the number 411321, and then add the, the word freedom. And it's going to, the guide's going to come through. Like what will happen is You'll get a message that says, put in your email, you'll send your email and, and you'll get this guide. I won't send you a bunch of other crap. It's just the guide. If you are interested in what you read and you're like, Hey, I, I have some more questions about that. I'm not quite sure how this applies to me specifically, or if you want to talk it through, then just reach out to me because all my contact information will be in there. And I'm happy, happy to work it through with you. Know that you know, you're not alone in this. It can feel very isolating, just like in those very disorganized spaces, you know, people feel a lot of isolation and shame in the same way when your business isn't growing as quickly or getting to the place you want it to be, or you have like an amazingly huge vision and you're just not sure how to get there. It can feel really isolating. So grab this guide, reach out to me because I'd be so happy to talk it through with you and, and see what kind of path you can create. Also, I know on your podcast, you said there was four things in organizing. What are those four things? Having a vision for what you're creating is really, really super important. Assigning a home and a place for the stuff, letting go of the things that don't fit into that vision. So that's the quote unquote clutter. And then understanding that you're going to have to revisit it. So it's not just doing it once, but there will be that ongoing maintaining and as life changes, you know, making those adjustments for life. I love it. Thank you. This is great. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you. Have an awesome night. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. Betty is really highlighting some very interesting points where you have to feel good if you're exercising. You got to feel good about yourself, no matter what size that we're at. But you even have to feel good about the space around you, wherever you are, and the space that you live in. 
uh, part of feeling better is really having some type of structure in our lives. But who would think that you also have to have structure with your things and what you do with your things in order to also feel the best about yourself? I found that to be very interesting. Yes, because we have lived in a hoarding environment ourselves. Right. And the funny part is, is that there's some people that if you keep piling up and saving all kinds of things, whatever those things might be or collections, isn't quite ironic. As we grow up or get older, we might put them down or put them in a closet or put them in a room, even extra furniture that we might even collect. And we put it in storage and we live a year or two with the stuff in storage. And then what's so funny is that when you finally go to get it, you throw half of this stuff away anyway. And you wonder why you saved it all those years. Another thing is, is that certain things that we collected that were stamps or coins or Barbie dolls, as you know, my, one, of, one of my sisters does. What does it really all mean 10 or 20 years later? Is it something that you're then going to sell and try to get value in dollars and cents? And what about the mental value of family pictures? And then all of a sudden the person passes away and you got albums and albums and albums and albums and albums of pictures and who really even gives a darn so many years later maybe some people would want a picture or two but they certainly don't need 10,000 or 100,000 pictures so what's important is how you feel about collecting certain things and does it make you feel good and if it makes you feel good and you have still living space and you still have opportunity to do and have structure in your life, then it's probably okay. But if you are on the show where you're hoarding and you're just buying and covering yourself up where you can't even move in your house or your apartment, you can't even sleep laying down because there's not even a space for you to lay down on, that probably is some type of uh, illness that needs some curing. What's also part of her structuring and organization is that she has been able to develop skills to really helping people feel good about themselves. When you have someone that you have to have extra tolerance and patience for, you want everyone that you're going to be around to feel good about themselves. And she also has the patience and the tolerance to be able to really help anyone structure themselves feeling good about themselves. And I think that that's very important. I think that you have to do that even at your work. If you want to be successful, you have to do it. Even if you're playing sports, you have to be able to have a beginning and an end goal at what you're doing. Otherwise, I think you get lost in the middle. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 